0: We we'll invite you to stand now um, as we uh, we spend some time reading scripture.
1: Good morning, Trailview Church. Today we are going to be in John four one through twenty six. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisee had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have not no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given it t- to you. Oh, sorry, guys. Having given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the le- that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is God's word.
0: You can have a seat. If you have your Bibles and, uh, and didn't grab them out yet, I want to encourage you to get them out, open them up, whether it's on a device or paperback, and open them up to John chapter 4. It's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, and as you're turning there, I want to let you know, um, one, again, I just want to say this as many times as possible this morning, we're so glad that you're here. Like, we are just genuinely so glad that you are here. And um, We're super happy and excited about this weekend, but I'm also very excited about next weekend. And so I want to let you know, next weekend we start a sermon series called Behold the King, where we're going to walk through the Gospel of Mark. I love to teach and preach through books of the Bible. um, And so I'm super pumped and really excited to dive into the Gospel of Mark and see all the intricacies and things that happen throughout the Gospel of Mark, as well as the whole big picture of what God's doing In inspiring by the Holy Spirit, Mark to write the Gospel of Mark, Uh, but we want you to be prepared for our walk through the Gospel of Mark as well as equipped along the way. So I want to encourage you to do three things uh, today or this week. One uh, is that I want to invite you back next week to join us in this journey through the Gospel of Mark, to come back with us uh, next week as we walk through and begin this journey of looking at Jesus. Our king. It seems incredibly appropriate uh, in the season and time that we live, uh, as it is always, but particularly leading into this fall, for us to, as Christians, as a church, be reminded that, yes, amidst all kinds of ups and downs and craziness and whatnot happening in our world, politically and not politically, that we would rest in that Jesus is our King. That Jesus is our King, that our allegiances lie with him before they lie anywhere else else, because Jesus is our King. And that's what John that's what Mark does as he walks through his gospel, as he presents Jesus as the King. So I want you to come back next week as we begin that journey. The second thing is that we have these ESV scripture journals available for purchase for you today in the Connect Center right across the hall. Uh, so basically what this is, is it's, a, it's, a, it's the ESV Bible, Gospel of Mark, that has one page where it's got the scriptures, and on the other page it's got uh, space for you to take notes and journal. Um, this is a really helpful resource, especially when you're studying through a, a book of the Bible, to actually take notes and journey through it with us. So I would encourage you to grab one of these if you'd like. There's 40 or so of them across the hall in the Connect Center. They're five bucks a piece. That's what they cost. So um, grab one of them. They're across the hall, five bucks a piece. If you want one really badly and you just don't have the money to spend five dollars on it, just let Brandon or I know, and we'll gladly give you God's Word. Um, but we 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 don't make any money on these. We're just replenishing stock for people next week and the weeks to follow with them. So um, so five bucks a piece, we encourage you to grab this so you can start walking through the gospel of Mark with us. The, the third thing that I want to encourage you to do this week is to read through the entire book of Mark this week. Uh, read through the entire book of Mark this week leading up to week one, where we actually unpack and start walking through part by part The book of Mark, because here's what it does. When you read through the whole book, it's like zooming up to 30,000 feet and seeing the forest, not just the trees and the trails and the dirt along the way. Over the course of the months ahead of us, we're going to look at the trees and the intricacies of the forest, but it's really helpful to see the whole picture. It's really helpful to zoom out and see from 30,000 feet what the whole story of the gospel of Mark is actually looking at, what Mark is saying, what he's getting into. So it's super simple. Mark's the shortest of the gospels. It's 16 chapters. And so you could read it in one sitting. If you're not into that, then you can break it up to just roughly over two chapters a day, and you can read through the Gospel of Mark in one week. And it will be really helpful for you to kind of see the whole picture of the Gospel of Mark before we begin to dive into just sections of Mark in the months ahead. So, so if you want one of these, we encourage you to grab it. Um, we're going to walk through the Gospel of Mark over the next few months and, and ongoingly. So grab one of these. They're super great, super helpful, really well done resource. Um, and come back next week as we dive in to see Jesus as our our King. So I want to do one thing before we dive into to John 4, and that's pray, specifically ask you to pray. Um, so I want to give us just a few moments, probably less than a minute, to pray for two things. One, I want to just give some quiet time for you to just, in your own heart and in your own words, to pray to the Lord and ask that He would speak to you today. That, that with all the things going on in your life, all the concerns, all the anxieties, all the worries, all the fears, all the stuff happening, there's nothing more that all of us need than to hear from Jesus, to hear from God today. And so I want to encourage you to just pray and ask that He would speak to you and ask that you would hear clearly from Him by the power of His Holy Spirit this morning. The second thing is, I want to take uh, in this kind of guided moment, and it's ask for you to pray for me. And I'm a broken sinner just like you. Um, if you didn't know that, we'll find out in a few minutes in John 4. Um, but all of us are fallen. All of us are broken. All of us need the gospel on a daily basis. And, and so I, I need you to pray for me that in this moment, as we unpack John 4, that the Lord would use me just as a tool to communicate his truth, that, that things would be helpful and things that aren't helpful will just wash away. Okay? So take just a few moments and begin by praying and ask that the Lord would speak to you and that you would hear from him this morning. Father, what each one of us, myself included, and every person here needs today is, is your voice for you to powerfully speak into our hearts, that by your Holy Spirit, you would move in us by your word, and you would bring about a revelation of our own sin and need of the gospel, that you would uh, bring about salvation in some, that you would um, encourage others, that you would uh, remind us of your love today. Now take just a few moments and pray for me. Ask that the Lord would just use me as a tool to communicate His gospel and His truth and that everything else would just be washed away. Father, I need You. Uh, as we open up Your Word in just a few moments, I need you to guide my thoughts, my words, my heart, my mind. Help me to just be a tool, a vessel to communicate your truth. That what we would all walk away with today is a good understanding and reminder of the gospel and the grace of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just over a year ago, I started a keto diet. I lasted about 40 days. Um, I did the keto diet... Uh, not so much in a need or desire to lose weight as much as uh, an act of self-discipline and an act of of experimenting with what the cognitive effects of brain function and productivity would come. Uh, I'd heard a lot of friends that had done varied versions of different diets that talked about how cutting these kinds of things out of your diet can actually improve brain function, you stay more alert, you don't get groggy, all this stuff. So I was like, I'm going to I'm going to, one, see if I can actually do this on a self-discipline level, and two, I'm going to do this to see if that actually works. And and as I was doing keto, uh, the things that I missed uh, were sides. Like, I, I missed the side items, because I, I still ate the burger just without the bun, and I still had the steak, and I still had the fish, and the chicken, and the shrimp, and all of those other things, but it was the stuff that came alongside of it that I missed most. It was the the chips and queso alongside of your taco salad, because you couldn't have the shell. It was the, the french fries, um, be those sweet or regular uh, or curly. It was the, uh, the potatoes in all the variety of versions, the rice, the noodles, like that's what I missed most, was, was the sides, the things that came along with the meat that I loved and really was there to eat. But I began to, to experience this craving for side items, side dishes, uh, but here's the deal. In my learning and growing and experience of, of, of cravings, of my stomach, of cravings, of uh, a longing and desire for food, it just began to, uh, to teach me and show me also that there's a deeper craving inside of me that, that we're going to see today. That for all of history, from Adam and Eve to the garden to 2020, each one of us, yeah, we have food cravings, but there's a deeper inner craving, not like your stomach craving but deeper than that. A a, a craving so deep that it shows itself through our emotions and cries out to be filled. A craving so deep that that our bodies will actually ache for that craving. A, a, A craving so deep that our hearts are continually searching to fill and satisfy that craving, that inner craving. And that we search through the world, through pleasure and knowledge and intimacy and and material possession, and power, and security, and comfort, and approval, and new experiences, etc., all seeking to satisfy this longing and inner craving. And when one of those proves to fail, to provide that longing satisfaction we would love or want for our inner being, we move to the next, and the next, and the next. And some of this might look like drugs, and alcohol, and party, and sex, etc., things that most of us would look at with disapproval and condemnation, while searching for this inner craving, it might look like that, but it also looks like relationships and friendship and food and experiences and knowledge and fame and religion and progress and stability and work, etc. But if you're like me, you're prone to try to fill this craving that your soul longs for through normal things that in themselves don't seem wrong or, or bad and that we can easily justify as being acceptable. The story of Jesus and the good Samaritan, or sorry, not good Samaritan, the the woman at the well, the Samaritan, shows how that each one of us have this deep longing, this deep craving to be satisfied. And it exposes that our vanity and rebellion and in religion through or acceptable things will not satisfy. And Jesus reveals himself to be the one whom satisfies the cravings of our soul. So look with me in John 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to look at this in three parts. Part 1, if you're going to take notes, you like to do that, here you go. Part 1 is that Jesus satisfies. Part 2 is that Jesus exposes. And part 3 is that Jesus saves. So, so let's look at this. John 4, verse 1 through 15. Now, when, Je- when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar. Near the field of Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask from me a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. For the water that comes from him or that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not thirst and have to come here to draw water. You see, Jesus' popularity begins to grow. People begin to hear about him, his influence is growing in the area, and more people are coming to hear his teaching, they're seeing him do these miracles, and more people are are coming and believing, and the Pharisees find out. And when the Pharisees find out, they begin to not like it. They're not fans of Jesus, they're competition for Jesus in their minds. And these are the religious and cultural leaders of their day. Their religion's not like a side part of their society. It's interwoven into everything. So when you see in the Gospels, the word Pharisee, don't just think like pastors, also think like political leaders. So these are the leading religious and cultural leaders in that day. And they start to hear about and get unhappy with Jesus. So what do they do? So what do they do? Uh, They begin to seek out Jesus. So Jesus leaves Judea, specifically where Jerusalem is, and he travels to Galilee, Galilee's like home base for Jesus. It's like hometown for Jesus. And as Jesus is going there, he gets tired along the way. And the interesting thing is that Jesus goes through a pathway that most people wouldn't have gone. The, the most Jews, as we see in the woman's conversations, have no dealings with Samaritans so much that Jews would avoid going through it. it it's kind of like if you're a, a Texan and you don't like Oklahoma, you'd go around to get there. Um, so it, it's like that, but a whole lot more volatile. It's a whole lot more volatile. And so Jesus, he goes through this town that no, most Jews would not, especially religious leading Jews would not. It would, it would in some sense give them a sense of like uncleanliness to walk through this outcast uncleanly people's cities in this region. And so, but Jesus does it, which begins to unveil to us a little bit about Jesus' heart and what Jesus is doing. And as he journeys, Jesus gets tired. Jesus gets tired, and so he sits down by the well to have a drink of water. He doesn't have anything to get water with. It's noon, it's middle of the day, it's hot, and he's just resting. And as he's resting, his disciples have gone away, an unexpected visitor comes to draw water. Unexpected visitor because as she approaches to draw water, she shouldn't be there. Then there's no one else at the well. That women historically didn't go to the well in the middle of the day. We'll get to that a little bit later. And as the conflict begins to arise, Jesus uh, speaks to her. And when Jesus speaks to her, she responds by saying, essentially, why are you talking to me? Like, like, you know I'm a Samaritan. I know you're a Jew. There's evidently easily distinguishable characteristics. It's like, why are you talking to me? So this Jesus' actions to talk to this woman would be like a white man in the 60s asking a black woman to share her meal with him in an exclusively black diner. It's culturally unacceptable, inappropriate, and shocking. Like, that's what's happening here. That's the inappropriateness of what this conversation feels like in this cultural moment is like that. You see, the Jews, Jesus' people for hundreds of years have hated And viewed the Samaritan people as less than, as enemies, as compromiser, as disgusting people. This is what makes the story of the good Samaritan and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, so shocking. We see in a few minutes how it's shocking even to Jesus' disciples. The important thing that we see here is that Jesus is intentionally engaging with someone from an entire people group who have been outcast from God's people. That Jesus is intentionally engaging with a woman who belongs to a people group who are entirely outcast from God's people. That should awaken our hearts to see a little bit about Jesus. That Jesus is actively pursuing people who are far from him. People who didn't seem to belong. What we also see here as this conversation continues is that Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for water, a living water. Unveiling to us that Jesus came to quench thirst. But he didn't come to quench thirst like your physical thirst. He came to quench the thirst of your soul, which is why he says this living water. It's not just like water from the well. And it's not just water, but it's actually water that's living, that leads and builds up to eternal life, that Jesus came to quench the thirst of your soul, to satisfy that deep longing and inner craving that all of us have, that governs and leads or motivates most of our lives. That Jesus came to satisfy and quench the thirst of your soul. And the thirst of our souls can show itself in many things, things from a a need to achieve, a need to be helpful, a need to be right, a need to be original, a need to know everything, a need to have security, a need for new experiences, a need to be in control, a need to have and cultivate peace. All of these needs and motivations of our hearts reveal this inner longing for our souls that we often seek for in other ways. What Jesus is doing and saying here to this woman is, I've come to bring satisfaction to your soul's longest desires. Uh, Augustine of Hippo, uh, thousands of years old, um, Christian pastor said it this way. In a prayer to God, he said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. So maybe you feel that restlessness. It moves you from this to that, to this, to that, or It it locks you down in anxiety and fear. Or it moves you into pursuit of satisfaction in this or in that or this or that. Augustine is right and he's echoing Jesus in this story that we are made for God and our hearts, our souls, the inner longing of us will be restless until they find their rest in him. So the invitation Jesus has for this woman is the same invitation for us today. Come to Jesus to come and get the longing of your soul filled by him, to be satisfied. Maybe for the first time to be satisfied. Maybe for those of you who believe the gospel, it's not a first time coming and experiencing and being satisfied that will lead up to eternal life, but it's an ongoing need to believe that Jesus still satisfies the cravings of your soul. Now, we need to daily be reminded of this. I need to daily be reminded that my soul craves satisfaction and it's only filled in Him. Cravings can only be covered up or overcome, not covered up, by deeper cravings. Bad affections can only be replaced with greater affections which leads us this to this. Even though this woman says, give me this water in the story, she doesn't yet see what she's really asking for. In this moment, she's essentially saying what a lot of people in our culture and society say in and around church, and it's this. Yeah, I'll take Jesus too. It's like, yeah, yeah, give me some Jesus also. I mean, I got this and I got that. I got I got my relationships. I got my friendships. I got my my academic pursuits. I got my uh, work pursuits. I got my family. I got my life. This is These places that I'm trying to fill my soul's longing and satisfaction. And she's essentially saying, yeah, sure, that sounds good. Let me have that too. I'll add Jesus to the row. So she doesn't quite get it. And this is like most of us approach Jesus, at least at times, or maybe you've, you've come to a place where you're like, yeah, I mean, sure, give me some Jesus too. But the thing that happens here is that Jesus offers satisfaction, but he doesn't stop there. Jesus moves to the second part, which is that Jesus exposes. That Jesus exposes where she has been seeking to find that satisfaction. And in exposing her, he exposes her need. Her need for repentance and to come and be filled in Jesus. So Jesus satisfies. Number two, Jesus exposes. Look with me in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Keep that you hear him say from, not for. Salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, and truth. For the Father is seeking such a people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, this is the mic drop moment of the story. I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. You see, Jesus asked this woman one question. And when he asks this woman one question, he exposes and reveals to her and him where she's been seeking to fill this deep longing and craving of her soul. And these, these for her and for us, it reveals in the story her and is the same for us, play out in two specific ways. It's the well of the world seeking our thirst to be satisfied in the well of the world through rebellion And then it's the well of self righteousness to satisfy our thirst, our longing through religion. In her search for something to fill her longing for her soul, she goes to the well of the world. And this is specifically, you can see this as Jesus exposes by asking her the question go get your husband. And when he asks her that question, it reveals she doesn't have a husband, she's been married five times, currently living with a guy. It seems to be, at least living as if married, and exposes that she's a serial divorcee. It also, in the story, through the context, we see this, that she's an outcast among outcasted people. That this woman is at the well drawing water at noon, middle of the day. And why is that significant? Well, historically, women would go and get the water that their household would need early in the morning before it got hot, and they'd fill their jars, and they would carry them back to the village, and they would have the water that they needed throughout the day. You see, the women would do that as a communal activity, socializing with one another to go and get this water, but that's not what this woman does. She goes in the middle of the day when no one else is there, and, and as Jesus reveals and exposes uh, her life, we see the reason this happens is because, yes, she's among an outcast people but she is an outcast among the outcast. And that she's socially an outcast among the other women in the city. Most likely because she's had five husbands and is currently living with, as if she's married with a guy who's not her husband. So she would be in the village, the the, the woman who's seen in the village as uh, a, a home wrecker, the woman in the village who's seen as sexually promiscuous, uh, the woman who, who everybody looks at and is like, man, she's so needy. She goes to this guy, and then she goes to that guy, and then she goes to that guy. And Jesus exposes that in her, that she's sought out affection. She's sought out approval. she sought out comfort. She's sought out love and longing that our soul longs for through men, through relationship. All of which have left her, what? an outcast, unsatisfied, alone at the well in the middle of the day. See, for you and I, this might not look like her, but yet we still go to the well of the world to find our satisfaction. It might look like wealth and, prox- pro- wealth and prosperity. That oh man, my soul will be satisfied when I have wealth and prosperity. It might look like independence. Yeah, maybe as a, as a young adult independence, but maybe as a, like, my freedoms, my rights independence. And no, I'm not making a Republican statement there. It might look like achievement. Well, if I can just achieve this in my career, and my job, and my education, then I'll be satisfied. It might look like adventure. Man, I, I'm just not satisfied now. I just need to go. I just need to go do. Maybe it's knowledge. If I can just know enough, then I'll be satisfied. If I can have financial security, I'm not asking for like mansions. I just want to not worry about finances. Then I'll be satisfied. Maybe it's approval of others through a fear of man. Maybe it's physical health or emotional health, that if I could have physical health or if I could have emotional health, then my soul will find rest. Maybe it's affection from others, that if, if my, my spouse would love me well, if I had a spouse, then I would be satisfied. Maybe it's sexual pleasure, be that in rebellion and sin or in marriage, hoping that it would fulfill your longing. Maybe it's materialism, the next thing or fame, or work, whether that's in the home or out of the home. That we seek to fill the longing and desire of our soul in the well of the world in a plethora of ways. And here's the thing. Most of these things in their like bare form aren't bad. Work's not bad. Independence isn't bad. Adventure's not bad. Financial stability's not bad. Approval, Love, relationship with others is not bad. Sex is not bad. Material possessions aren't bad. Platform, fame, not bad. What happens is when these desires get disordered and we begin to see them as a means or use, to be honest, feel the weight of that if it's other people, use that to fill the longing of your soul. And none of them will ever do it. Which leads us into the next, the next, the next, deeper and deeper and deeper along the journey. For this woman, Jesus exposes her not to make her feel guilty, not to make her feel shame, but to show her the depths of where she's been seeking the longing that her soul longs for, the places she's been seeking for it at, so that he then can move in and save. Maybe for you it's it's not the well of the world that you're most drawn towards, but it's the well of self-righteousness. See, this is an area that, um, this is an area that uh, we can really easily justify, but it's no different and no better than the well of the world. You see, we see this in the story because what does the woman do when Jesus exposes her relationship situation? She immediately gets defensive and starts talking religion, right? She immediately gets defensive. She's like, oh, I can tell you're a prophet. Oh, no. (laughs) You know more about me than I had hoped you would. Thought I could come here in secret. Nobody would talk to me. Well, we worship over here. I go to this church. It's It's the religious jargon that enters into the conversation now. It's the equivalent of you or me telling somebody when they find out that, you are a sinner, when, when your inner realization that every one of us to some degree feels like an imposter is exposed, and we begin to think about the things that we do or have done religiously or morally that are good. You see, Jesus is revealing to this woman that, yes, the well of the world will never satisfy, and the well of self-righteousness, of moral uprightness, of religious activity will yet still also not satisfy. It will not satisfy the craving of your soul. See, we we oftentimes feel that same defensiveness, uh, or maybe the self-righteousness is expressed in judgmental attitudes towards others. Like, man, like, I'm not that bad. Man, like, when they do that, like, why are they doing that? That's just the little slight ways that your self-righteousness is just picking its head up because you're not like that. You're better. In comparison, it also shows up in empty religious actions to just go and do and punch the clock or check the box or read to read or sing to sing or listen to the music to listen to the music to just do those things in hopes that, okay, yeah, I'll be satisfied by these actions. I will be satisfied. If I sing, I'll be happy. If I read, I'll be happy. If I attend, I'll be happy. That's the Pharisees Jesus talks about at the very beginning. Or maybe for you, it's moralism. It's if I live a good, morally upright life, then I'll be satisfied. Then I will be happy. Then the craving of my soul will be filled. You see, yet they still fail. And so we try harder, and we try harder, and we try harder, and we try harder, and we try harder. At the well of self-righteousness, yet we still Aren't satisfied, and so Jesus exposes both her pursuit of satisfaction in the world and her pursuit of satisfaction in the in the religion and church. In the same way that for us we need to hear that today. But here's the deal: L- Why does a doctor expose? Maybe it's mental exposure that you go to a doctor, you're like, "Yeah, I don't feel so good," and they're like, oh, "Okay, well, let's figure out what's wrong." They do a test or whatnot. They run the test, and they expose. They reveal. You're sick, you have blank, whatever it may be. You got the flu, you got a cold, you got cancer, whatever it may be. And then the doctor, having intellectually exposed you to this, begins to expose by treating you. So if it's cancer, what do they do? They cut it open, if they can, and they pull it out. And so the act of exposing, oftentimes, especially for somebody like me who doesn't like unhappy feelings, doesn't like (laughs) discomfort. The idea of exposing is like, no, that's bad. But as we see in the story, exposure is not bad. Exposure leads to healing. And so for you, if you feel exposed today, don't stop where you're at. Go to Jesus where you can find healing for what he's exposed See, for many of us, we might feel like Jesus is being cruel in this story. Like a bully on the playground who pokes out the weaknesses of the other person. It might sound like Jesus is being cruel or like Jesus is being mean. It might seem like Jesus is exposing her to condemn her like the rest of the women in the world that she lives have done. They know she's exposed in condemnation and shame. But that's not Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't expose to condemn. Jesus exposes to save. This is John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus to the well, to this woman who lived in shame and condemnation to just heap more shame and condemnation on her. God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, for this woman to experience salvation and freedom from shame and condemnation freedom from the wrath of God in eternity, she, in order to be satisfied, had to be exposed so that she would see her need for Jesus and come to him in repentance and find rescue, find joy, find eternal life. So if you feel exposed to somebody who struggles with sexual sin or exposed to somebody with tendencies to embellish or lie or exposed to somebody who uh, is not the perfect parent, Exposed as somebody who struggles with depression or anxiety. Exposed as somebody who is single and that feels exposing for some reason. If you, if you feel exposed as an alcoholic or a drug abuser, if you feel exposed as somebody who's struggling in your marriage, listen, the purpose of that exposure by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning is not your condemnation, is not your shame, but is healing and salvation in Jesus. So don't fear being exposed. If you're not a Christian and you're here today and you're exposed, it's to lead to your salvation. I remember that day when I came to faith in Jesus. I felt like I was walking down the front in front of, in front of all my friends naked. Like shame, exposure, like I feel so like, terrible right now, but I have to do this. So exposed right now, but I need salvation. So maybe today you need Jesus. Come to faith in Him. Maybe today you're a Christian and you feel like you're exposed as an imposter. Exposure for Christians to the deeper depths of your own heart and sin is to lead you to dependence on the Lord and deeper sanctification. Not running and hiding. Not pretending and performing. But to come to Jesus And let him begin to continue to work out your salvation. To continue to cultivate a deeper dependency and make you more like him. See, the gospel frees us from fear of exposure. It frees us from fear of exposure because then we're honestly known by Jesus and we can be honestly known by his people. Because as a people, we're committing to love and care for one another like Jesus. Which means when we're exposed, we ought to respond like Jesus does to this woman come to give you life. I've come to care for your soul, not to heap on condemnation. Seeing Jesus for who he is is what this woman needed. This is where the story begins to get really good. She's exposed. Jesus has give, it re- offered her this eternal life, this living water. And most of us would expect that she hangs her head in shame and walks away, like the rich young ruler who can't sell all of his possessions. Most of us would expect exposed for seeking satisfaction in the well of the world and seeking satisfaction in the well of self-righteousness for her to hang her head in shame and walk away like every other experience she's had in her town. But as we keep reading in verse 25, we see that's not what happens. Look with me in verse 25. We're rereading verse 25 and 26 just to be clear. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just hear the irony of that moment. Jesus has just told all things about this woman to her. She knows the, the prophecy. He'll come and he'll tell us all things, and he's just told all things about her to her. But what happens? verse 27, just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with this woman, but no one said, who do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? But the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see the man who told me all. He'll tell us all things. All that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. As the story continues and unfolds, we see the the disciples' reaction and we see the town's reaction. All playing out because this woman, exposed in her sin, sees Jesus for who he really is. She sees Jesus and is saved. What we might expect in this moment, maybe from our personal experiences, is to begin to feel shame, to begin to feel condemnation. This again, like I said, has been what this lady's probably experienced most of her life. Uh, or, or maybe you'd expect, like the Pharisees, to dish out some moral instruction. Hey, you're dealing with this in your marriage? Go marry the guy and stop sinning. Some moral instruction. Hey, you need to start worshiping like we worship. But Jesus doesn't condemn this woman, and Jesus doesn't give this woman moral instruction. No that's not what happens. Jesus simply reveals himself to this woman. Jesus simply reveals himself to this woman that he is the Christ. And when she sees Jesus, everything changes. When this woman sees Jesus as the Christ, when she believes, everything changes. She goes back from the well, she leaves her jar, goes back and she's no longer driven in fear and shame. She goes back to this people who've condemned her for at least a good portion of her adult life, free from shame, free from condemnation, and joyfully is proclaiming this new life that she's found in Jesus. That she sees Jesus and is freed from her sin and shame and condemnation for all of eternity and gets from him this, this living water, this satisfaction for her soul she's been seeking. And she gets this freedom from sin and shame and condemnation. Seeing Jesus as the Christ is what saves her from a lifelong pursuit of unsatisfying things in the world and in self-righteousness. See, what you and I need today is to see Jesus, to see Jesus as the Christ. Maybe today you'd say, I've been drinking from the well of the world, or I've been drinking from the well of self-righteousness, or some combination of the two. My prayer for you today is that you would put your faith in Jesus. That if you've never seen Jesus, you've never believed the gospel that Jesus died in your place, that he rose from the dead accomplishing all that was necessary in his life and in his death and resurrection for your salvation, that you would today. And you would experience the satisfaction that your soul longs for and that would lead and well up into eternal life with him forever. That you, like Jesus says, would come and be satisfied, be forgiven, receive eternal life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That if you see Jesus as Lord, God in flesh who came, lived righteous without sin in your place, takes your shame and guilt and sin on himself and then dies the death you deserve. He lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you deserved, and in faith, freely gives you both forgiveness of your sin and His righteousness by faith, by belief in Jesus. I just want to encourage you, this, as we finish this morning, uh, to, we're going to take a few moments to sing. And when we sing, if you need to put your faith in Jesus, if you need to experience the satisfaction your soul longs for in Him, I want to encourage you to, to come. I'll be up here on the front. Um, Brandon will be up here too. We'll gladly, gladly sit down and talk with you. Just have why we're not done. But I want to make sure to say that if you need Jesus, that you come find him today. That you come be satisfied today. We'll also be in the Connect Center across the hall if you want to do that afterwards. For you who maybe you you are a Christian, you found eternal life in Jesus, but you've returned to a place like the well of the world or the well of self-righteousness, I just want to encourage you to rest in the gospel, to rest in that Jesus has already done all the work necessary to satisfy your soul. And the invitation is to come and drink from Jesus and be satisfied, continually be satisfied. It's interesting to show that Jesus doesn't say, come and you may have eternal life. He says, come and you may have living water that will produce eternal life. So he promises and gives salvation or satisfaction now that will lead to eternal satisfaction with him. So come back to Jesus. You see, uh, old appetites die hard. Why was keto so hard? Because I like Oreos. <laughs> That's why. And I didn't do it long enough to create new appetites because I still eat Oreos most nights. <laughs> but the regular ones. So don't give me double stuff. In the same way, if you've been drinking from trash, the well of the world, or trash, the well of self-righteousness your whole life, you still want those things. And so just to own that, I still want those things. And come to Jesus and let him satisfy and give you new appetites. This is what Psalm 51, when David says, who believes in Jesus, just kind of before Jesus, He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. He's saying, hey, I believe, but God, would you make me want you more than my sin? Would you remind me daily that I need Jesus? See, I like vegetables. That's not the problem. I just don't like them as much as other stuff. In the same way, there are times in my heart, in my life, and in yours where you need to be daily reminded that Jesus is the one who satisfies. So come to Him. The last part I want to get to is this. There's an invitation for us to live out the gospel in community. What we see here in the last part of this is we see the disciples' reaction to this woman. What do they do? They look at her and they're like, what is going on here? Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? See, they're acting towards her the same way the people in town do. You see, when when this woman is changed, she's shame-free and able to love and care for people have actually caused her to feel more shame and condemnation. And so what happens here is that when we've been saved by Jesus, experienced the gospel, God invites us to live that out towards one another. To live out towards one another a life free from shame and condemnation. A, A life where we can confess our struggles and our sin to one another. A life where we inside the church don't live in fear of being exposed, but are gladly stepping in confession to one another, not fearing shame, not fearing judgment, but just needing Jesus. That we don't have to pretend that we are more than we actually are. We don't have to go and hide in our shame and sin. That we're freed to rest in the Father's love and then extend that love and grace and mercy towards one another. This is only the case for Christians. We don't have to walk in fear and shame and judgment. We're freed from it. In the gospel, when we're reminded of His love for us. At Trailview, we make disciples who delight in Jesus. Delight in Jesus means that we find our pleasure Our satisfaction in Him. And when each one of us do that, we live free of shame. That my joy and satisfaction isn't found in your approval or your approval or your approval, but is in Jesus, which means I can be exposed, I can confess my sin, and find more joy and more satisfaction in Jesus. You see, Jesus satisfies, Jesus exposes, and Jesus saves. Jesus saves the woman who is an outcast among outcasts. My hope is that at Trailview, we would be a people who love people, love one another like Jesus loves this woman. He speaks to her, not in a condemning, shame-creating way, but in a way that leads to life. He has a conversation with a woman that his disciples wouldn't. Let's be disciples that look and act like Jesus intentionally guide you in the next few moments that we're gonna sing three songs here. Uh, I want to encourage you to sit for the first one. you uh, metaphorically sit. don't leave. That's what I mean uh, and take this next song to just sit with Jesus. maybe he's exposed you and you need to pray and confess sin to him. Maybe you you need to put your faith in Jesus come up and and sit down with one of us, Brandon or I and we'd love to walk you through believing in Jesus. Maybe you need to to ask someone for forgiveness or confess sin to one another or pray for one another. I want to encourage you that this next song, this first song, that we sit and respond in reflection to what God has said today before we get up and move. Then in the second song, and in that you can sit or you can stand, you can sing whatever worship looks like in this moment for you. Do that. And then I want to encourage you, if you have kids that are in kindergarten through fifth grade, at the end of the first song, go get them and bring them back in here so they can sing with us. That every week we want to invite our kids who are in children's ministry to come sing to Jesus with us. So after that first song, go grab those kids if you'd like to, bring them back in. If you still need to sit with Jesus because he's doing work, our kids ministry team will gladly hang on to your kids. Be with Jesus and then let's worship. Father, we thank you so much for being a God who doesn't make us feel shame, but who frees us From shame and condemnation and gives us eternal life. God, would you, by your Holy Spirit's power, work in our hearts this morning? Holy Spirit, would you come and speak? Would you come and give courage to be vulnerable and courage to be obedient this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Brandon's over here.